The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What is the cloud? It's not just pie in the sky anymore. SAP presents In the Cloud with Game Changers with your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Are you in the cloud yet? If you are, do you know how to maximize its potential? Get ready for an hour of innovations and innovators who will explain how they are using the cloud. Find out how to make it work for you or work more effectively for you. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. The cloud, more than just another delivery mechanism for same old enterprise software, yawn, yawn. The cloud facilitates something new, peer-to-peer collaboration at new altitudes with sometimes surprising benefits. Our three experts today will discuss this critical game changer. Let me tell you a little bit about their point of view. Michael Krigsman from Assurit is a veteran of SAP Radio. He's back and he says cloud embodies new relationships and the promise of business and IT finally getting their act together. I know Michael likes to say this for working in alignment and toward common goals. The cloud brings a technology shift, but here's the key. Also a change in mindset and culture. We'll be talking to Michael a lot about that in a few minutes. Kari Anderson from Say It Better says to connect and collaborate, speak sooner to the strongest sweet spot of mutual benefit. I think we need to have T-shirts made up with that saying, Kari. We'll talk to you in just a minute. Sherry Ann, Sherry Meyer, I'm allowed to call her Sherry because we're old friends from Air Products and Chemicals, says, and I love your quote, Sherry, what is real, asks the Velveteen Rabbit one day. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Of course, that's from Marjorie Williams, the Velveteen Rabbit. Sherry says, as a longtime active participant in the American SAP Users Group, that's ASA, I can tell you with confidence that your peers are always going to tell you what's real. Like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz is another favorite reference of Sherry's. We all need friends to accompany us on the journey to solve the problems, to prevent the mishaps, to figure out how to get out of Oz. I've heard of out of Dodge, now we're getting out of Oz. So to my listeners, I ask, are you on board yet? Tune in for more insights on It's Your Cloud peer-to-peer networking communities. And a quick side note, take your coffee break with Game Changers Wednesdays, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern. That's where I am, right here on the Business Channel. And if you'd like one of our official SAP Radio mugs, it's free. We'll even ship it to you on us, sapgamechangersradio.com. You can remember that, sapgamechangersradio.com. Welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. If you didn't guess that yet, welcome to In the Cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. We have a great show. This is going to be a very upbeat conversation today. I have a feeling we have three extraordinarily smart and committed guests, great points of view, and we're going to hear their voices now just for a second while I tell you a little more about who they are. Michael Krigsman is CEO of Assurit Incorporated, a consulting company dedicated to reducing technology implementation failures. He is considered an enterprise software industry influencer. We love to talk to influencers. Michael, how are you today? Hey, Bonnie. How are you? 
Good. Glad to have you back. I think you're part of the staff now you're on so often, and we always appreciate your taking the time. I know you're busy, so thank you. We'll talk to you in just a minute. Kari Anderson is CEO of Say It Better Center. She is an Emmy Award-winning former Wall Street Journal and NBC journalist. I am an esteemed company here, Kari. She has been a consultant to companies, sports teams, startups, government leaders, and nonprofits diverse as Google, the Skoll Foundation, London School of Economics, that's near and dear to somebody in my family, Nordstrom, Siemens, and Novartis. Kari, welcome. How are you today? Oh, fine, thank you. Eager to hear this conversation. <laughs> I'm glad you're with us. We're just delighted to have you. And Sherry Meyer, Manager ITHR Solutions and Delivery for Air Products and Chemicals, is accountable for creating, prioritizing, and continually improving processes for the delivery of IT support services to people-related IT products. She is a blogger a human capital management expert, an influencer, there's that word again, and she serves on the board of directors of American SAP Users Group, ASAP. Welcome back, Sherry. How are you? It's great to be back, Bonnie. I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. And I, I love the Velveteen Rabbit now added to the Wizard of Oz quotes. You, you, you rock with your quotes. We're going to have to have you on again just to see what else you come up with. So <laughs> let's take a deep dive into our quotes, the opening quotes from our guest. Michael, we're going to put gentlemen first on this one. Cloud embodies new relationships, the promise of business and IT, finally getting their act together. And you say not only is it a tech shift, it's a change in the mindset and the culture. Talk to me, Michael Krigsman. Sure. Well, when, when we think about the cloud, you know, it's, it's very tempting to, to say, well, we're going to put those servers over there as opposed to have them here, and everything will be the same. But in fact, that's not quite true, because when you start changing your IT infrastructure and removing it from inside your company and handing it, in effect, to a cloud services vendor, Suddenly, your, your resource allocations need to change. So, so you don't need to buy servers, and you don't need people to manage servers and databases. So, so your, your, there's an impact on your HR. And all of a sudden now, there's a, a, a coming together, hopefully there's a coming together between IT and the business side, kind of working jointly to solve problems. And, and eventually what will happen, hopefully, ideally, is the culture begins to change and, and the mindset of working together as opposed to silos will mm-hmm. start to become more pervasive. So you begin with this technology change, but there's this very strong impact on the business relationship. Michael, can you define for me what I've got here as, as one word? I have peer, P-E-E-R, the numeral two, and peer again, peer-to-peer. Exactly how are we defining that for our conversation today? Well, I think it's pretty simple. It just means people working together. So I mentioned the term silo. And if mm-hmm. you think about it, peer-to-peer is the, is the breakdown, the overcoming of silos, going across those boundaries, one person working with the next, cooperating collaborating. I like that, cooperation and collaboration. And what's interesting is in the intro to our show, we talked about innovations and innovators, and I sense that that's what is happening as we talk about peer-to-peer. We have two minutes left, four minutes left to this break, so let's give Kari your chance to talk about to connect and, oh, six minutes. Thank you, Justin. We just bought back two minutes. Kari (laughs) Anderson, say it better, and you will. To connect and collaborate, they're our favorite words. Speak sooner to the strongest, sweet spot of mutual benefit. Is that on a T-shirt yet or on your business card, Carrie? <laughs> a client put it on T-shirts. But following <laughs> up on what Michael said, 
Um, I believe silos are there for a reason, so this is counterintuitive. And until the whole C-suite, not just the business and IT side, get crystal clear that they want a collaborative organization and incent and reward and facilitate people for speaking to the sweet spot for working on a shared project. Um, a lot of the technology will not be maximized. So speaking in language that you all understand at the table, um, speaking specifically, speaking sooner, uh, getting clear on methods of collaboration, uh, rewarding people who do collaborate or share or respond when problems come up. Those are the key behaviors that need to change and be supported by an organization. Interesting. Uh, we were talking with Michael about the silos. It, help me with this. Does the language spoken by people in different silos match up when they get together on peer-to-peer in the cloud, Kari, or do they have to learn? Is it a Tower of Babel, in other words, or Babel, however you pronounce it? What do you think? Um, I believe it takes all of us an extra onus in this um, connected world to use plain language and reduce jargon uh, and talk like real people. So all sectors will learn it. And, in fact, the people who do it will become facilitative leaders on a project, no matter what their title is. Um, okay. I like that a lot. That that sounds like there's, a, when you say putting the onus on everybody, that's responsibility, that's commitment, that's uh, just making sure that it happens. Let's move to Sherry before we get too close to our break. Sherry says, what is real Ask the Velveteen Rabbit? I won't go through, whole, through the whole thing, but I love what you said from the Wizard of Oz. We all need friends to accompany us on the journal, journey, solve the problems, prevent the mishaps. That's a good one, preventing them, and figure out how to get out of Oz. What is this Oz we're getting out of, Sherry Ann Meyer? Well, I liked uh, what Kari said about the silos and people taking responsibility for themselves to speak up. And that's really what that's about, right? I think when I think about IT 20 years ago, it was really an intellectual asset of a company. So a company decided how they were going to deliver their um, management of information, and they probably built a lot of their own systems or had a lot of customized things. Then the ERP platform came along, and we all sort of rallied around that, and we started doing things a lot more the same. And now this cloud journey is here, and there can be a tendency for people to hold on as things change, hold on to what they know, and stay more inside their silos. What we really need to do is to, as Kari says, speak out more um, and talk about this more, whether you agree or disagree, because that helps get the issues on the table. It helps you to realize as a company, for example, what should I negotiate in my cloud contract um, when I'm going to a cloud model? Uh, it helps us to understand each other's needs uh, across the silos. Okay, Sherry, I want to ask you a question about this collaboration concept. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Is this something you find in ASUG? You're on the board. You're an active member. Do you find that there's this peer-to-peer collaboration? Is it a natural thing? Is it something you have to sit people down and say, okay, you're joining this group. We're in the cloud. Here are the possibilities. This is how we want you to speak and behave, stay out of the weeds. Is it something that they understand when they join a group like this, that this is the new way of communicating? What do you think? I, d- I think that's a gradual thing that's happening. I think most people join an organization like ASUG because they want to learn something. They expect to go there and be fed information. But the information exchange really happens when you're an active part of both the problem and the solution. So when you can reach out a hand to another person and give them your ideas or your thoughts or your answer to a solution, that's when the real conversation starts happening. That's when that whole collaboration really becomes real, and it's not just this social tool that I'm using or or some other piece of technology. 
So you can have all the technology in the world to help you collaborate, and ASA does that, but it's really the people in there, right, that are reaching out to each other. Um, and there's a lot of collaboration within NASA. I have to say, when I started working in this area, we used to say about SAP, I don't know what I don't know. But guess mm-hmm. what? There was always somebody else in ASA that did know or had an idea that we could rally around and develop our answers around. Thank you. And you just reminded me of what I wanted to ask. I'm going to throw this out to all three panelists. Anybody jump in, Michael, Kari, and Sherry. The question is, how is peer-to-peer networking different from what we all know as social networking? Is it is it something higher up the food chain? Does it have to have the word business in it? Do you have to have a formal nomenclature? Uh, who wants to answer that, just for level setting? Well, this is Sherry. And I think peer-to-peer networking, to me, implies, and of course everyone will interpret it differently, to me, implies that I'm looking for someone in my own area of interest to speak to, and I may have different peers in different groups depending on what I'm interested in learning, whether it's music for a hobby or um, software and cloud for my business purposes, right? Um, it's a lot like social networking, but the point is that you're there to give and receive something from each other, not just share feelings but or thoughts, but to really help each other. And you okay, can talk help shorthand because you there already you go. have some common interest. And, Kari, I have shorthand, and the shorthand is we're at our first break, so we're going to take our break. Thank you, ladies, for bringing me up to that point. We are off to a great start. I'm speaking today about peer-to-peer networking, collaboration, connectivity, and talking to each other in the cloud. Michael Krigsman, Kari Anderson, and Sherry Ann, Sherry Meyer are my special guests. Don't even think of touching that mask. We'll be right back with a lot more here in the cloud. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce over 70% of the world's chocolate, more than 50% of the world's brand name jeans, over 72% of the world's beer, more than 86% of the world's athletic footwear, and over 65% of the world's televisions. Learn more at www.sap.com. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce more than 52% of the world's movies, collect tolls for over 1.75 billion road miles traveled each year, and represent 80% of the companies on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. SAP customers fly more than 1.1 billion of the world's passengers, courier over 50% of the world's packages, and manufacture over 77,000 automobiles a day. Learn more at www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are in the cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. If you have a question or comment for Bonnie or her guests, send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. You can also tweet your comments to pound sign SAP Radio during the show. Now back to In the Cloud with Game Changers. 
are in the clouds, but we're not in the weeds. Those of you wondering what that means, means we're not going to get deep into the tech talk. We're going to talk like real people in real language, and that's one of the things we're talking about today with my special guests, Michael Krigsman, Kari Anderson, and Sherry Meyer. We're talking about collaborating in a business way without silos in the cloud and doing it for a purpose. We've talked a little bit about the technology shift leading to a culture shift. People are talking, collaborating, and now we want to ask Michael Krigsman to take us into a slightly new direction. We're going to talk about designing software and processes for people and having people discuss them in the process. So, Michael, how would you like to jump into this? Well, let's, let's begin with the way software was traditionally developed. So, mm-hmm. so you had uh, some, some business problem, and users had to define up front at the beginning of this long project what their requirements are. And days, weeks, months later, maybe a year later, maybe longer, uh, software developers showed them the completed product, by which time the, the original business needs may have changed. And in the first place, these users were kind of more or less guessing as to what they think they might need in the future. Well, that's not a very participatory way to develop software. Today, we have agile development or iterative development, which are sort of technical terms that basically mean the users and the developers sit together to define a relatively short project, in a sense, and then the users relatively quickly see the result, and they can get feedback on it. And then they they do it again and again and again, so it kind of iterates over time. And this way, you bring together the, the, the development folks with the users in a highly engaged and participatory manner. And it, it means a, a shorter development cycle with less risk and better results at the end. That's Thank the you. style of development in the cloud. Good. I like that. And that's really what we're talking about is, is talking before rather than after the fact. Kari, any experience with that from your perspective as a CEO of Say It Better? Uh, I know you've worked with big companies. Uh, the main reason, by the way, I mentioned that London School of Economics is dear to my family. My son studied there while he was in college and had a great experience. So I was happy to see that pop mm. up. Sorry for the side note. So tell me, what do you think about what Michael is saying? I agree thoroughly. I worked at the Think Tank Center for the Edge. where I, That's where I met Mark Yolton. And we talk about the future is ecosystems. And everything Michael said reflects not just the cloud, although it's one of my favorite examples, but the way collaboration is going to happen um, with mobile, big data, all of the key words that we're talking about these days. Iterative collaboration, feedback. Uh, it goes back to the notion of brevity and the rules of engagement from the top. But the part that I like is the costs go down. So big players and small players can connect, and uh, competition can hit fast and for more places. So there's going to be all kinds of opportunities to find someone you're going to work with once or over time because of the cloud. And because of the technology in the cloud. Interesting. I'm, I'm not going to talk specifically yet about what's coming up next week on the show, but we will be talking to three startups, and the topic will be startups and technology equals true game changers who can impact the global economy, the broader economy, because of the opportunity for them to be in the cloud and take advantage of world-class software without a big infrastructure and on-premise investment and a big IT staff investment. So mm. you've, you've led me into something very, very interesting. We won't go there, but that's just a preview 
preview of next week's next week's show. Thank you, Kari. I appreciate that very much. A little promo there. So, uh, Sherry, you want to jump in on this? Uh, the idea of you were mentioning that in ASUG, if you don't know something, you know what you don't know. Somebody might know it in ASUG, the concept of collaborative knowledge sharing, if you will. So how do you feel about the idea of being part of the development process? How does that work for you and what you do? Well, being part of ASUG, I've had opportunities to actually try out software before it was even built, um, when it was just a wireframe model. And that's been so important to me personally and my company, but also to the ASUG organization because we have a voice. So before we're, the product is even on the market, we're not calling back in to complain and say you didn't get it right because we were part of the original solution. And they're really developing software today to meet users' needs. It's such a different world. I mean, it's not that the user it just goes out there and does things the way you want them to do. We we have people that are the world today that are just so good with using technology are so familiar with it because of how we've come up through these generations that people know how things should work and they know how they want them to work for their particular solution. So one, any time, I don't care what time of year it was, what era it was, everybody always likes to be asked for their opinion, right? I don't think, I think that's a static thing. We always like to be asked for our opinion um, and you can't go wrong with doing that. But the second thing is, the way people use technology today, they do have more of an opinion, and they know what they want. And you know what? They're really right about the usability. They're the ones at the bottom end. Um, they don't need some over-engineered solution sometimes. They just need something that meets specifically and precisely their needs, and that's it. And collaborating with the software company to get to that design can really help get to that point. All right. I have a question. Uh, we're talking about collaboration, and we're talking about, I think somebody mentioned iterative, and this is a question for all of you. Sometimes when you get people involved, and we, we know this from, uh, let's say, if I were writing something, I used to do graphic design and writing for small business clients, and they say, oh, I want to change it. Oh, I want to change it. Oh, can I make these three words? Oh, I'd like a comma in there. It's hard to pin down. The beginning is fine. The end just keeps slipping. What do we call that? Scope creep, everybody. So my question is, how do you put in some structure? Maybe this is a bad thing for me to ask, but I I can almost hear the listener saying, but wait a minute, if you have so many people involved in this discussion and you're saying to them, what do you think? What do you need? How do you put a little bit of a structure or enough structure, should I say, around it so that you have an efficient process, not just an open-ended, everybody throw their two cents in the ring and we just keep going and going and going. Michael, you talk about IT failures. Would this be something you would cover? Sure. Uh, You know, somehow or other, you've got to get people to prioritize. Flexibility and community and collaboration are great, but at the end of the day, uh, a pure democracy equals pure chaos. Thank so, you. So you've got to find some means for the different stakeholders to some process, something to, to help them prioritize. We're going to do this because it's more important than that. Okay. And yeah, it's more that, important to – yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. This is Sherry Michael. I think you hit the nail yes. on the head that you have to um, control your scope and, and say right out at the beginning, what is the problem you're trying to solve? To me, when I'm having those discussions, it always goes back to what is the business problem that we're trying to solve? Because I can build a million beautiful things around it, but does that really narrow the scope to what I'm trying to meet in terms of a project deadline, cost deadline, and solving the original problem? What most supports that one business problem? You have to have focus around that. 
Exactly. And Michael, you sent me this uh, talking point before the show, and I think this is right on point. You say the end result of this collaboration, meaning peer-to-peer in the cloud, means better processes and stronger relationships, all of which culminates in, here's the key, greater business efficiency, which was the original motivation behind enterprise software. So we have come full circle. Now, Kari, uh, what's your experience with this, with all the companies you've worked with? Do you find that it's it's easy to set these limits and prioritization and, and set a structure to the scope? Or do you find that it's kind of getting the excitement is dra- driving people away from that? <laughs> it's high tech, high touch, to use an old phrase. The technology is <laughs> evolving so that you can set the criteria and the best sort of crowdsourcing so that You've got criteria by which you judge which ideas best support the project. But secondly, we're losing the capacity to have a conversational thread in general in our culture. So when people get trained to work together, both virtually and in the same place, and they have a common thread to the conversation, they're solving things, sticking to the point. And I know that sounds just, it's human behavior, but it's going to be a vital tool in collaboration. Okay, let's talk about culture. We started out with that when we gave Michael's opening quote. Who are the best candidates to be in the cloud for peer-to-peer? Who gets it? Uh, Kari, maybe you're the one to start this one. From your perspective of saying it better, you talk about being quotable, and I'm going to ask you about that toward the end of the show, what you mean about about people becoming really quotable, because I would like to be quotable. I am once in a while, but not all the time. My question to you is, who is the best candidate to be part of these peer-to-peer teams or environments or communities? Is it the, the young people coming right out of MBA school who, who just get it in their are so excited to be part of this? Is it the middle managers who are seeing a paradigm shift in how businesses are relating internally, externally, how the competition is changing, how you, you use the cloud for all kinds of growth opportunities? Is it the, the high-level CEOs who've really been around sometimes, not always with the startup, but really <laughs> been around or are saying, oh, I don't know, can we really do this? Who, who are the ones who are going to thrive and say it better um, in the cloud? Yeah, It's core traits. They're the ones who continuously hone a talent, so they're very good at something, and thus they're valuable. Second, they speak to that sweet spot about which you spoke earlier. Third, they're facilitative, so they collect together the threads. They say, you've suggested this, you've suggested this, I noticed this. It seems we have this in common. They keep people on track, and that's especially vital uh, virtually, uh, that they have that facilitative orientation. It's not about me, it's about us, and hearkening back to what my co-panelists have said that kind of focus where you're seeing if this person adds value we listen to them if they don't they're not going to be asked back to the party ah interesting interesting yeah. michael i know you want to say something about sherry who wants to chime in yeah. uh, this is sherry i was just going to say that i really i like that we talked before about how speaking up was really important but you just said something that really struck a, a nerve with me and that is <laughs> that what i'm finding today is really listening is equally important, if not more important in most cases, so that you can iterate back to people what you heard. Mm. This is Michael. The, um, yes. We were talking earlier about uh, culture and mindset changing, and really that's what we're, we're discussing right now. The culture aspect that needs to change is the notion that we're going to uh, subsume to some extent our own personal goals and agendas and listen and be part of other people's as well. And that is the foundation for collaboration. Because if it's me, me, me all the time, then there is no collaboration. 
You have to all forgive me for this segue, but I, I used to do stand-up comedy, and I took improv training with, with somebody who was very big in the field. And one of the things we learned in improv, really any conversation, the one we're having right now, there are no notes, there's no script. We're improvising this conversation. I know you all agree with that. One of the things we learned about improv was it's not when you want to speak up. It's when the group or the room or the script, non-script, needs you. When are you needed? When is that contribution waiting for you? When do you have the right answer? Not when do you feel you've been ignored or left out? So does that resonate with all of us in terms of understanding what is needed rather than what you want and when it's your turn? Yes, maybe? Oh, amen. <laughs> I actually was asked by a venture capitalist with a startup group where one person was very egotistical. He said, you're all going to go to improv. That person would ignore the other people on the stage, and he got hit by somebody else. <laughs> and they were videoing it. It was a quick lesson about this. You know, it's very hard to give up control. I heard a story recently about a senior executive who was having some troubles with, ex, with uh, some ex-employees that were saying things on social media. And it turns out that, the, that this particular CEO was having a very difficult time allowing, giving up, giving up control and was sort of thinking about external communities almost in the same way as they would think about their internal employees with, with mm-hmm. that tight, tight grip of control. And it's very difficult and unsettling for a lot of senior executives to let go and to realize they have to let go because they're so used to being the boss and being in control. And when it comes to That's communities, right. you, you have to let go. You don't own the community. Very interesting point, and that's, that references back, Michael, a few minutes ago I asked about who, who in, in what part of the organization is best for this kind of collaboration. We're having a great conversation here in the cloud on In the Cloud Radio. I'm just delighted with my panelists. Everybody is playing so well in the sandbox. Love the ideas. We're at our halfway point. We're going to take a break, but just to give you a preview. we come back, I want to pick up a talking point from Sherry Meyer. Sherry says, when you hear best practices, who decides that? Sherry, that's a question I asked my guests about two weeks ago and in the cloud. So let's come back with that and let's let's put that on the table. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, I still am. Improv or not, we're here in the cloud and we'll be right back with another half hour of great information and more importantly, great peer-to-peer conversation. Don't even think of touching that mouse. Justin, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce more than 52% of the world's movies, collect tolls for over 1.75 billion road miles traveled each year, and represent 80% of the companies on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. SAP customers fly more than 1.1 billion of the world's passengers, courier over 50% of the world's packages, and manufacture over 77,000 automobiles a day. Learn more at www.sap.com. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce over 70% of the world's chocolate, more than 50% of the world's brand name jeans, over 72% of the world's beer, more than 86% of the world's athletic footwear, and over 65% of the world's televisions. Learn more at www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
In the Cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. If you have a question or comment for Bonnie or her guests, send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. You can also tweet your comments to pound sign SAP Radio during the show. Now back to In the Cloud with Game Changers. Talk about peer-to-peer and collaboration. We've got some active tweeters here, and I want to give credit where credit is due. We've got Vala Afshar. Thank you so much, Vala, for tweeting for us. We've got Jay, Greg Chase. Of course, we've got Malcolm Kimberlin. And while she's on the show, Sherry Meyer is tweeting, and Kari Anderson is tweeting. And, Michael, I think I saw you in here, too. So we love our tweets. If anybody listening wants to tweet, by the way, today's show is live. Today is August 2nd, 2012, just to tell you. If you're listening to it after August 2nd, you're certainly welcome to tweet. And our hashtag is SAP Radio. Very, very interesting. Okay, so let's go back with best practices. Sherry Meyer, let's talk about who decides that. What is it and what does the cloud have to do with best practices, Sherry? Well, I think when I first got into the IT area and I used to hear this term bandied about best practices, I used to think, really? Someone decided there's a best practice? What is that? And I think today, as I've come along, I've certainly used best practices and looked for them in my career, but today I'm still sitting here saying, well, who decided that? So, for example, in the cloud, when I look at my current SAPHR implementation, and I'll defer back to my area that I'm working in within right now in the HR space, I can I have 27 countries deployed in an on-premise product. What would I now put in the cloud and what would benefit me to put in the cloud? I could move some of my talent management over to success factors, and a lot of people are saying, oh, that'll be best practice, move that over there. But who decides that? Is that the best practice for my company? I was having this conversation with Steve Winter from SAP and also with Michael Pinto, um, and they really get it. You know, it's each customer's personal roadmap. So there are best practices that you can adopt, but really it's just like statistics. You have to understand the numbers behind the game, and does that really work for you? Is that really the best solution for your business? So I have a question. Do you get to go back to the vendor and say, hey, these best practices don't exactly fit the model we think we need. Can you tweak them? Can you rethink them? Or is it cut and dried? Is it in a box and you take it out, you either use it or you put it back? I don't know how that works. Can somebody well, share that well, with me? you can. You can go back to the vendor, but typically by the time you're ready to go back to the vendor, you're on a project, right, where you have a tight timeline and they're not going to be able to respond with the best fix in your timeline. Or it's not, I mean, every vendor has their own goals, too, and their own deadlines and financial objectives to meet. So they may or may not respond to one customer's voice. But that's where we get to bringing us back to the power of peer-to-peer networking and all of us together being one voice to go back to a company and say, hey, this really doesn't work quite right. I really don't think this is a best practice. Can you tweak it? Good, I like that. Michael, I want you to come in on this if you can because you talk about, again, your, your specialty is IT failures. Do you see any failures in this area of best practices where let's, let's say a company gets a reputation that somebody likes their software but when it comes to best practices, eh, not so much. They have to go back and retool them or get different expertise. Do you see that as something that would get around? We're talking peer-to-peer networking, so I assume there's some, excuse me, grapevine gossip going on about, hey, did you hear about? Is that a reality or? Am I just uh, floating here? I, I think that there are actually two types of best practices. The actual best practices, which are the, uh, in a sense, the, the uh, accumulated or aggregated wisdom and experience around a particular topic that somebody then 
consolidates and says, okay, here's a good way to do this particular thing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's helpful and it's beneficial. But there's another aspect to this, which is we could say the, the political aspect of best practices. And here's where it gets a little bit um, more tricky because for a software vendor or a consulting company or an analyst, consultant, who consolidates the best practice and then says, well, here's the right way, the, they have a vested interest in, in having you adopt their best practice because, mm-hmm. of course, whatever it is that they sell, their product or service, is going to be you know, associated with that best practice. So right. if you adopt the best so, – so what companies do, this political dimension of it, what, they, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, adopt our best practice because it is the, 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 the wisest and embodies the most experience and everything else. But what the, the part that they leave out is, and the, the sort of unspoken and, so the and is, and if you do adopt these best practices, then you're going to have to hire us, or you're going to want to hire us. Mm. So that's when best practices turn a little bit dodgy. Interesting, dodgy. Uh, question for everybody. We're talking about networking. I brought up the question, is it different from social networking? Is there a social networking aspect to peer-to-peer? Is there, in other words, uh, Sherry, for example, in, in ASUG, if somebody's happy or not so happy with some, something, would they take to, let's say, starting a forum on LinkedIn for members and say, you know, I came across this, and what's your opinion, and maybe get some negative and positive things going, or might they go on Twitter and go to uh, start a certain hashtag, like we have Pound SAP Radio, uh, start a certain uh, stream and get a conversation going, and could a vendor's reputation suffer a little bit through that process? No, it absolutely could suffer through that process. Ah. But I have to say the people that I've worked with in, in the SAP space and with Twitter and LinkedIn and ASUD are largely respectful of each other. They're respectful of the companies that they work with as well as for, and I think that's the right approach. I have only once run into someone who was very negative, and I just refused to listen to the negative, as I find most of my professional colleagues do. Um, I think more so people are using the discussion forums on ASUG and on LinkedIn and in-person meetings at conferences as well as Twitter to share information and to ask questions. I even use Twitter to do a quick survey of my friends as to what they do with support packs, for example. So while it can be done, I don't. I see at least this space that I'm working in being very respectful of each other. I like that. I hear the word respect, and I heard the word collaborative, and I hear the word integrity. I heard a lot of integrity in what you said, Sherry, and that's good to know. Uh, Anybody who's listening to the show who is not deeply involved in business and doesn't have the level of expertise and experience of you and Michael and Kari might be wondering, what is this all about, and and how does it work, and what am I allowed to say and not say? So I, I think we're putting together a good primer Although some people say primer, oh, I'm sure I'll hear about that one. Uh, a good primer on, on how do you behave. Isn't that really what we're talking about, a culture shift and conversation and collaboration and communication? We're talking about this culture being something positive, and that's what I'm getting out of all this is peer-to-peer is positive, respectful, productive, collaborative, and let's all do something better together. Kari, what do you think about that? I was reflecting on what Sherry said several times. When you have a community that has a culture, rules of engagement that reward re, um, that kind of respect, you would probably don't go to outside channels. Uh, LinkedIn has groups that are poorly moderated as well as well moderated. Mm-hmm. So people go all over the place. 
So my view of best practices is usually rules of engagement. And the more concrete they are, what behaviors you reward and don't within an organization, not just with vendors, the easier it is for people to get in line, to know what's expected of them. You're reinforcing their best side. So with social media, you're reinforcing both extremes. But with these communities, you've got a chance to reinforce the best, let the cream rise to the top, and people be recognized and rewarded extrinsically and intrinsically in their work. Sounds good, and I want to bring one more word in that I don't think we've said. Uh, Sherry, I think the first time you were on the show in the cloud with Game Changers, we talked about co-innovation. Am I right? That was the topic. How, yes. how do we how do we bring in the word co-innovation in this peer-to-peer? We've, I think we might have described it already, but is that exactly what we're talking about in terms of the collaboration on the development side? It's the same, and yet it's different. So it's, okay. it's co-innovation is an opportunity to me to work with the software developers in a company in innovating, coming up with a new design or meeting new design requirements for a product. Um, and this peer-to-peer networking can get at many different things. It can get at product improvements, product tweaks, solving issues, um, and, or just helping each other use the software or implement service level agreements, for example. Even the conversation we're having here today, the three of us, we're all learning from each other and are going to take something away that's going to help us in whatever we're going to do in the next hour or the next day or the next week. Now, I have another question for the panel. If you want to work with a cloud vendor, let's go into the the point of being a consumer of whatever a cloud vendor is selling, and you go to them and you say, hey, I have an idea and I'd like you to help me develop it, or I need a special flavor of a particular solution you have for my startup or my mid-sized company, whatever, wherever you're coming from. Is there, are there any rules of engagement, Sherry, in particular, about how the vendor would respond to that request? Would it go through a user group? What if somebody new is coming out of the gate with a great product and they say, hey, I don't exactly see what I want out there. Can I co-innovate with company XYZ? What is the likelihood that company would be willing? How, do you have any idea how they would judge that? I think companies knew coming out of the gate, if you didn't have an inside source, it would be difficult to do that. I don't think the world that I've seen yet is ready for that. There's still a certain amount of distrust, like a salesperson oh. showing up on your doorstep unexpected um, and you not wanting to talk to them, right? Um, so it's about proving yourself as a professional in the larger world. And I think things like being active in ASUG and other professional organizations working with you, Bonnie, for example, is what elevates your level of respect in the community and makes you seem more real. So if you have those kind of connections that can vouch for you and you're st- doing a startup, right, I think that helps mm-hmm. you get a foot in the door. Even with SAP, when they wanted to approach our products about participating in some co-innovation, it helped that they knew me because bringing them on site to look at how we do work today, I had to influence internally to make that happen too. Um, So the connections really help connect everything together and make that innovation happen. Does that make sense? Yes, and we're still talking about we're talking about credibility now. I hear what you say, validating who you are and your right to be part of that community. You don't just walk in the door and say, "I want guacamole instead of uh, hot dogs for dinner." You have to have you have to have some credibility. and You have to understand the culture. But what are you bringing to the table? How do they trust you? How do they know you should be part of that conversation? Michael, you want to chime in on this one before we finish our segment here? Sure. Uh, Co innovation is is actually very expensive, not in terms of dollars. Per, uh, per se, but it requires a commitment on both sides. It requires uh, allocation of time on both sides. Mm-hmm. There's a risk that if you don't have the credibility that 
that Sherry was just talking about, that perhaps uh, the person you're co-innovating may not be able to deliver what's needed in the end, which means you're going to invest all that time and not get something out of it. So, so you know, serious co-innovation requires a serious commitment. And so there's a bar that has to be crossed before somebody who is intelligent, quite frankly, uh, takes that commitment on. Interesting. And uh, we're just about up against our break. Thank you, Michael. When we come back, everybody who's a regular listener knows, and I'll tell the newcomers, the newbies, if you will, that we're going to do our special segment called Crystal Ball. I will be posing the same question to all three guests and asking them to look ahead and predict five years from today or any time frame they choose that they really, really are passionate about or they understand or know about peer-to-peer networking in the cloud, what will it look like? Will we call it something else? Will we abbreviate it to the letter P, number 2P, and everybody will get that, or maybe they already did, and I missed that that T-shirt, Carrie. Uh, and what will we call it? What will it look like? And will it be so slick and so normal part of the culture that we won't even be discussing it any longer. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Michael Krigsman, Kari Anderson, Sherry Meyer, talking about peer-to-peer networking. Don't even think of touching that mask. We have a great prediction segment coming up. We'll be right back. Jason, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network think you know sap think again sap customers produce over 70 percent of the world's chocolate more than 50 percent of the world's brand name jeans over 72 percent of the world's beer more than 86 percent of the world's athletic footwear and over 65% of the world's televisions. Learn more at www.sap.com. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce more than 52% of the world's movies, collect tolls for over 1.75 billion road miles traveled each year, and represent 80% of the companies on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. SAP customers fly more than 1.1 billion of the world's passengers, courier over 50% of the world's packages, and manufacture over 77,000 automobiles a day. Learn more at www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are in the cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. If you have a question or comment for Bonnie or her guests, send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. You can also tweet your comments to pound sign SAP Radio during the show. Now back to In the Cloud with Game Changers. We are so far up in the cloud, we're going to take a look all the way ahead to five years ahead, if that's what my esteemed guests would like to do. We'll start off with Michael Krigsman. Michael, five years from today or any point in time you choose, what will peer-to-peer networking in the cloud look like, sound like, feel like, and will we still be calling it that? Go. Okay. So five years from today, uh, Facebook, which currently has almost a billion users, will have a gazillion users. Okay. Okay. So Facebook, so everybody's going to be on Facebook. But more practically, the, the concept of collaboration of, of, of social media and these types of peer-to-peer communities and this type of collaboration, 
the, will be much more um, widely dispersed and a, will become a much more accepted part of doing business. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure that just has to be the way that things go. However, at the same time, human nature will be exactly the same in five years as it is today. And so mm-hmm. what that means is that on the, so on the one hand, we have this kind of uh, drive towards collaboration because that just makes sense. But pushing against that human nature is going to uh, mean that there will still be politics and people will find different, perhaps more subtle ways of, of expressing politics and expressing various types of aggression and expressing uh, behaviors that push them forward and try to put other people down with hierarchies and so forth. So human nature is not going to change, even though that the technology will become uh, much more proliferated than it is today. Thank you. Good predictions. Appreciate it. We might have a little time left at the end, so if you want to add on, I will get back to you. And Kari Anderson, say it better.com. What do you see ahead? Do you want to go five years, or what's your favorite time frame for predictions, Kari? Five years is a long time from now, but I agree with Michael that human nature remains the same. I just believe technology means we can learn faster about people's um, talents, and about their willingness to play fair. So I believe there will be talent-enabled ecosystems around every organization uh, that will allow uh, collaboration inside and outside the walls, public and private, so your reputation can be easily besmirched and known. So talent will find each other around sweet spots faster. Iterations will happen faster. There will be more chances for collaboration with people you've never met. And the two key talents you'll need are to hone that main talent and your capacity to speak specific to the sweet spot of mutual benefit with people extremely unlike you around the rules of engagement, that sweet spot, and the ability to be flexible as you go along and change all of those things, the rules of engagement and so on. Thank you. Any more? Um, You mentioned uh, suggesting what quotability is. It's yes. how you say something so vividly other people want to repeat it and be part of your story. I'm doing a new column for Forbes called Connected and Quotable. As a stutter, former phobically shy person, it's been amazing to be a public speaker helping others to be frequently quoted, but it's what most interests me and why I really like the two co-panelists' pithy, specific summaries. <laughs> I love that. Sherry, has anybody asked, ever described what you say is pithy and specific? I love it. No, but I like that. I'm writing it down. <laughs> I, I think you should. We have to tweet that. Michael, you too. Pithy and specific. Yes, I like that. <laughs> I, I don't tend to be too, I tend to be specific, but not very pithy. I'm kind of all over the place because I, yeah, never mind. So maybe you'll teach me, Carrie. That would be great. And let's turn to Sherry Meyer. Sherry, what do you see looking ahead? Is five years a good time frame for you or you want to change that? I, I think my vision that I have is going to be five to ten years out, more like ten years out than five. And I agree human nature remains largely unchanged. But what I see happening is I like to describe my vision as an inverted triangle. So in an organization structure today, you have the CEO at the top, and then the triangle gets bigger as it goes to the bottom. And you have all these workers at the bottom who know something. But today their opinions probably aren't really floating to the top. There's filters in between, and by the time it gets to the top, it's probably a different idea. 
what I see happening with all the peer-to-peer networking and the opportunities for people to play in many different spaces at many different levels is that that triangle gets inverted so that the information is flowing through, not through filters, but is really those, that majority, that crowd at the bottom is starting to drive the ideas and getting heard. And so the final product, the final outcome that comes out of that is certainly something that meets more of the needs of the up-and-coming generation and the newest knowledge workers. Sherry, will we still be calling it peer-to-peer networking? Will we still be calling it cloud? Five to ten years is a long way off. Can you see that far? Well, in 10 years, I think there's going to be something new just on the horizon, perhaps rainbow computing or something like that, or over the rainbow, maybe. Um, so <laughs> another 10 years, starting another cycle. Um, I think there will always still be peer-to-peer networking, just like there always will be gazillions of users on Facebook using it for whatever reason, whether it's to find or comment or like a favorite product or just to share family photos. Um, but there will definitely be, I think, a stronger influence and a stronger groundswell from um, the bottom to the top, so more capabilities to reach up and communicate and have a voice where perhaps you weren't heard before. Interesting. I'm going to open one more part of this question to, I think, Michael, you might have been the one. We were talking about resistance to being open and sharing at top levels of organizations and executives. I think you said it, Michael. Executives being resistant to saying, hey, everybody's going to be a piece of this development pie. Everybody's going to have some input. They don't want to give up control was, I believe, what you said. Do you think that will change five to ten years from now when these executives, if they're still in power, that word is in quotes, of course, if they're still around, do you think they will get it more clearly? and understand it. Michael? Well, in, you know, at some point, the younger generation, it, which, it, which has grown up with these technologies and mm-hmm. which therefore is more just naturally more comfortable with the idea of letting go, uh, those folks are, are going to ascend to higher positions of responsibility in these organizations, and that is going to have a natural effect. At the same time, the as the as the culture of uh, social media and social collaboration takes hold and continues to diffuse, and I was joking before about Facebook having a gazillion users, but it's so mm-hmm. broadly based that sure. it, it has an influence on our broader society. And, and so senior executives, of course, are you know, touched by that as well. So, so the diffusion of of the social technologies and the expectations that that go along with them have to have an impact going up the organization chain as well as at lower levels inside the organization, like we were just talking about. It has to be the case. Excellent point. And you know what? It's time for Bonnie's predictions. And mine are easy because I have them written down. I'm going to tell you what's coming up on our next shows. We have one minute, and I can do this, Justin. I can do this. Uh, let's see now. We're on In the Cloud. Next Thursday, we'll be talking, as I said earlier, startups and technology, today's true game changer. Startups are harnessing amazing technology that in previous years was only available to the big guys. And they're coming out of the gate screaming and yelling and saying, hey, we have something really good to do. And they're doing it efficiently and cost-effectively. August 16th, we're going to be talking about a good topic, HR globalization, the impact of women and different organiza- different generations on organizations and individuals, and Coffee Break with Game Changers next Wednesday. Uh, here's a big topic. We need a T-shirt for this, Kari. M2M, Rise of the Machines, connectivity of different <laughs> machines everywhere, and it's a multi-billion-dollar business. Wednesday, August 15th, we'll be talking with Axiom founder and author Bob Nichols about sales transformations. Thank you to Patricia Harris, Joan Sherlock, Anka. 
Rebecca Rebel, Malcolm Kimberlin, Greg Chase, and the Business Channel team. And a special thanks to my wonderful three collaborators on In the Cloud today. Michael Krigsman, always a pleasure. Kari Anderson, lovely to meet you, and I hope you'll come back and join us. Sherry Meyer, hey, I need another Oz quote, so we'll have to have you back. We absolutely will. <laughs> I'm, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, wishing everyone a tremendously game-changing week. Go out there and change the game, do something important, make it stick, and tell the world about it if it's really, really great. And one last thing, bye-bye. We'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you again for being part of In the Cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Please join Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. And be sure to tune in to our other program, Coffee Break with Game Changers, every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, also on the Business Channel. Between shows, visit us at www.sapgamechangersradio.com.